Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is good to see everyone tonight. And uh, let me guess, Neil, you've got guests tonight. And who are these folks? All right, let's give Ted and Tina a hand. Amen. Good to see you tonight. On visitation. Welcome. Amen. Welcome to Central Baptist Church. Another round of applause. And you may be seated. Thank you so much. We're an old-fashioned Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching, and Bible-reaching church. And on Saturday, we'll be back out on visitation again. Weather permitting, we'll be hitting another section not far from where we did this visitation this last Saturday, and then winding up that particular area with a large uh, outreach uh, following uh, the following Saturday on the 17th. So we're visiting. How many of you are distributing tracks, little smiley face tracks? All right, we've got a goal. And uh, our goal that was set was around 1,300, about 1,300 tracks as a church. And our reach, our reach goal, our stretching out goal, our effort goal, 2,000. Exceed that. Let's move on to 3,000 of these tracks. They're free. We'll give them to you. I've got them right here tonight. And um, I will give every person who wants them to take as many tracks as you want absolutely free. Just promise to hand them out freely and do that. Praise the Lord. Now, coming up between now and uh, Sunday, we've got some exciting things going on. Every day we have on YouTube, uh, we have... Uh, our daily devotions from the shepherd to the sheep, amen, and we're catching that and we're getting more subscribers, praise the Lord, and then the short clips, uh, we have those as well, and praise God for those, so catch those. Saturday, we have 9 o'clock cleaning here, 10 o'clock visitation. At 3 o'clock, we have absolutely free, up online, broadcast our first session of the 17th year of Revival Institute. Everybody can tune in. And it is free at 3 o'clock until about 6 o'clock, and it's session 1701. Will you tell somebody else about it? We'll have one broadcast per month for six broadcasts, and then we will have graduation uh, in the summertime. So I hope that you'll take part of that as well. And then let me give you some uh, updates, some reports from our missionaries around the world. Uh, hope for the Future, Romania and Malawi. Missionary Marguerite Gentry. Now, you know, she is the widow of uh, Brother Gentry, who went home to be with the Lord a number of years ago. She has continued to serve the Lord, and we support our widows and our widowers on the mission field. And uh, she is uh, happy to report that there were two weeks of camp as they've started back up in Romania. And uh, these, of course, are for children. Many of them are gypsy children. And uh, for ages 6 through 13, uh, two, two camps. The first one had 300 campers. The second one had 320 campers. Nearly every one of the attendees came to Christ. They were saved the Bible way, and all God's people said, Amen. Would you be in special prayer for uh, Brother Dave Weeks, our missionary to the cults? Uh, he has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. We'll have a major surgery on September the 28th. Pray for him. He has given us uh, a very good guide as uh, he ministers to those that are adherents of the cults on how to deal with Adventism and those that are followers of uh, the Millerites. Uh, likewise, we have a letter here from Nilsa de Carvalho. As you know, Arabaldo, we were the first church to support them as they went to Cape Verde to establish a work many years ago. He has passed on from COVID. She has gone back to work even though she is dizzy and has been uh, 
has been tested and, and uh, is back on the field, pray that a man will come uh, with his family to that area. Uh, she mentioned the name of a man, Nathan Fritz, an American missionary who has come to believe that his own ministry in Praia is finished and is praying about Sao Vicente and coming to that church. And all God's people said, Amen. So we continue to support them. We have other uh, missions letters from out in the desert in uh, Columbus, New Mexico. A new church is being planted in Columbus, New Mexico by our missionaries Charlie and Sarah Powell. Praise the Lord. And we have a couple of letters from the Philippines. We have a number of missionaries there. The Sutex are there. They're now having their eight-year anniversary. They've established uh, a main church, a school, and uh, three mission churches, some of them uh, several hours away, and they're reaching out to people even in very primitive areas. Praise the Lord. The Wheelock family, we received a church planting report from uh, Guayaquil, uh, Ecuador, uh, where they're planting a new church. The Stalkup family, as they're preparing now to launch their uh, ministry to Muslims in New York City. Praise the Lord for them. And so on and on it goes. And uh, I just want to say your support and your prayers make all the difference. And I am prepared to do what God has called us to do and to be and uh, to continue to support the work and hold the ropes here for others. We've got um, uh, an ever, uh, ever more uh, everlasting uh, commission to carry out uh, the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have a special offering that is being received between now and the end of the year. It's the Christmas gift to Jesus, which we use for those spontaneous needs which may arrive uh, as we hear about the missionaries that have hospitalization needs and so forth, that type of thing. But also this Sunday, in our attendance, we will have with us from uh, Ireland our missionaries, the Canavans. They'll be reporting briefly on their work there for the Lord. Be prepared to give an extra special offering to them. We want to send these folks on the way uh, with a good offering. Likewise, on Sunday, uh, we, will, we will also honor all of the grandparents. It is Grandparents' Day. And uh, so bring pictures of your grandkids with you or just your grandkids, and we'll have a display area out here in the foyer, a couple of tables for pictures to be set up. So how many of you are ready to get into the Word of God? That's enough announcements, preacher. Amen. All right. If you would, please take your Bibles. Take your Bible. There's a Bible in front of you. Uh, if you don't have one with you, turn to 1 Corinthians. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It was written a couple of thousand years ago by inspiration. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible that he signs his name to, and 14 if he wrote Hebrews that is not signed. But 1 Corinthians is the first letter that was written by the Apostle Paul by inspiration to the church at Corinth. The ruins of Corinth are about 50 miles away from modern-day Athens. But it was a commercial city, it was a pagan city, <clears throat> and folks had come to God, they had been saved there, but they had problems, they had confusion. Some of the confusion had to do with morals, some of the confusion had to do with their behavior, with their lifestyle, and so forth. And the, the letter is written by the Apostle Paul, first of all, to establish the fact that God has appointed him as an apostle. Look this way, we have apostles, but they're all in the Bible. To be an apostle, you had to be a witness of the ministry of Jesus Christ. To physically witness from the time of the baptism of John until the resurrection. And, uh, and you, had to, you had to be appointed an apostle. That's one who is appointed with authority. 
Paul was one that he said was born out of due season, but he had been around Jerusalem all that time. Therefore, there are no living apostles now. They're all dead. They would have to be about 2,000 years old if they were alive. When churches or religions say we have apostles, anything other than the apostles that are written down in the Bible are not true apostles. An apostle had to be a witness of the ministry of Jesus Christ from the baptism by John through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that? Not up and down if you understand that. Okay. Do we want to do everything according to the Bible? Everybody say amen. Amen. That's right. We want to do what the Bible says. God tells us in His Word uh, what is expected. And you know, He provides the wherewithal for us to live right, to do right. And tonight we're looking in 1 Corinthians and chapter number 6. And it begins with these words, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know? that the saints shall judge the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to, to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is, uh, is it so that there is not a wise man among you no, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer or allow yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. All right, so he's saying, dare you, dare you to go to law with your brethren, with saved people over church matters, over personal matters, rather than settling it in the church as it should be done. We're living in a litigious time. We're living in a time in which lawsuits are very prevalent. And uh, uh, there are attorneys, and they're expensive. Anybody that's had to use an attorney knows what I'm saying. They're very expensive. And uh, we, uh, we understand that there are cases and there are certainly circumstances and situations when it's appropriate uh, to go before a secular judge and to settle a matter. But if it's possible for Christians uh, about minor matters to get along, then we ought to do so. Uh, we don't take dares by intimidation or manipulation. You remember when you were a, a kid and somebody said, I dare you. I double dog dare you. How many of you remember that? How many of you got yourselves in trouble because you took a dare? Yeah. And uh, why didn't mom and dad teach us just to say, no, that's dumb. That's stupid. But, you know, we didn't want to lose face. So we did a lot of dumb things. And uh, if we're going to advance, if we're going to reach forward and progress in life, we're going to achieve. Uh, we were talking about this, uh, Brother Tyler and I. We, we do have to take some measured risks, obviously. You have to make application and, and go for a job interview, and you take a chance, and you, you apply for a job, and, and then you, you go down, and you, and you purchase a car, and you might have to make payments, and you're taking a measured risk, and these are normal things. For a Christian, everything that we do, we do according to the Word of God, and we do with prayer. Amen? There's not even a small thing that we don't do without prayer. There's not even a small thing that we don't do without considering what God may say about it. We don't just leave it to our gut instincts because even though we have experience and we have some, uh, some uh, 
some smarts, some street smarts. We want to make sure that what we're doing is the specific will of God. Amen? I don't want to get myself in deep someplace and then have to dig myself out and then perhaps have years and years of consequences. I want to be careful. So what I'm talking about is measured risk. Uh, I don't even like to use the word gamble. I understand that if you have a portfolio, if you have a 401, uh, if you have a, if you have a, uh, uh, some type of a, an investment, uh, then there is measured risk. I understand that. But we never compromise spiritual, biblical principles in taking measured risks, do we? When you do that, you get out on a limb and pretty soon you turn around and you realize that you've sawed off the limb that you were uh, depending upon. So never compromise scriptural principles. Never compromise right. Listen to me. It's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. Right is absolute. Truth is absolute. The Bible teaches us that. I want to get into the Word until the Word of God gets into me. And so Paul is writing by inspiration. He says, dare you. Dare you do these unthinkable things. These things that are contrary to principles. And the principle that's in view here is that we should never make those matters that can be settled between Christians a matter of public reproach so that people look down on Christians and say, man, those Christians can't even get along. If those believers can't get along, then why should I become a Christian? Why do I want one more venue in which to get into trouble? The world provides us with enough, right? Isn't that true? I mean, you just you turn the corner and there's, there's this potential conflict and that potential conflict, and that's for everybody regardless of their spiritual profession. But for a believer to add one more dimension by having a public argument that should be privately settled between Christians is condemned here according to the Scriptures. There were a lot of problems in the church already they were having to deal with. The church at Corinth was a group of immature believers who thought they were further advanced than they actually were. Anybody ever find themselves in that situation? You say, man, I've, I've come so far. I've, I've advanced. Man, I've, I've gained ground. I'm really moving forward. Oh, watch out. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit. You know, uh, we, we've, got, we've got those, those potential stumbling blocks if we're not careful and we put those stumbling blocks out there um, I don't want to draw a reference to uh, uh, Andy Griffith the old uh, black and white and then uh, Barney but he was constantly with that gun you remember he had to keep the bullet where in his pocket why because every time he put it in the gun he ended up shooting his foot or blowing out the back seat of his pants or something with his gun he was he was not good at that he needed a little instruction in those regards but Christians, okay, now you're not going to get that picture out of your mind, are you? Christians end up shooting themselves in the foot by doing a lot of dumb things. Some of the problems included their claims, their false claims of spiritual superiority over one another. They had a, they had a, a three or four way split in that church and it was over personalities. They were choosing up sides and saying, we're going to follow this leader, we're going to follow that leader, we're going to follow this guy, we're going to follow that guy. And we ought to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be listening to what the Bible has to say. Amen. Amen. Then there was unresolved uh, sexual misbehavior. And there was this business of suing one another in public courts over internal or private disputes between Christians. Their testimony was 
was in the balances, was being weighed, and was left wanting. So here it is. Here it is. We are human, and we are going to have conflict. The very fact that we are breathing means that we're going to have disagreements. Jesus said it's inevitable that offenses will come. But woe unto him. Okay, when you don't handle these things scripturally, what happens? That offense becomes something very big. It's like a small, a small wound becomes cancerous, becomes large, becomes deadly. We need, we need to be very careful. Because we're human, we're going to have human problems and circumstances, situations, and the potential for conflict. But we need to make sure that we deal with everything based on the Word of God. When it comes to the matters of disagreements between Christians, it needs to be handled privately whenever possible. Now, somebody may not want to. They think, well, hey, we got courts. And in New Testament times, there were a lot of courts. Now, these were primarily in um, the areas that were, that were Greek in background because the Greeks, the Gentiles, uh, were, were famous for all of their courts and their court discussions and their debates. Uh, after all, where did Socrates and Plato and all the philosophers come from? They came from Greece. So they were famous for this. And they had a court, you know, just like uh, people say, they get down in the deep south, man, there's a Baptist church in every corner, isn't there? In Greece, there was a court. There was a magistrate nearly on every corner. And so if, if you had a disagreement, this, this was, you talk about money-making, they would go to court, they would pay the fees, and so you got a, you got a magistrate here, and then a block away you got another magistrate, and you got all of these people. So you go before the courts to settle things. And whatever they ruled had the stamp of authority, and it had to be abided by. This is a problem. Because of the availability of it did not make it right. How many of you have ever heard this from the world? People say, well... It's legal, or it's available, or I can get away with this, or I can do this. Does that make it right? What makes something right? What God tells us is right. What makes it wrong? What God tells us is wrong makes it wrong. There you have it. The basic problem behind all of the availability and the usage of these courts then to settle minor matters. Let's say Christian here and a Christian here have some disagreement. Boom. They go to court. They slap down the fee, you know, the magistrate makes his money, he's happy, he hears, he says, no, I'm going to rule in favor of whoever, and they have to abide by it. But in the meantime, that magistrate is thinking, you know what, that was an easy five bucks, that was an easy fifty dollars or whatever. Boy, these Christians are pretty stupid. What a reproach that they would come and they'd have a disagreement over some small matter. That's what was going on. Can you think of some applications? I can think of plenty of them. I can think of people I knew, a man who claimed to be a Christian, and he, he got himself rear-ended, in an, and I don't know how he did it, but, but he got bumped, and even though he had been to court previously for this particular injury, he took whoever ran into his bumper at five miles an hour to court, and tried to prove before a jury that he had all of this damage. And then when it became obvious, when the, when the other attorneys found out, and they got a hold of the, of the old x-rays, and they, they showed them in court, the jury 
I mean, they, they, they ruled in favor of the guy that ran into the other guy. And the fellow that was trying to collect on that was a professing believer. I'm just glad he didn't hail me into court, you know, and have me there because it was a setup. It was a fixed deal. And I wonder if however many people were on that jury were thinking to themselves, this is some strange kind of animal. This is a different kind, a different breed of believer. We need to be so very careful that we don't bring reproach upon the name and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. The basic problem behind the availability of that you can do this was something else. If you would go with me back to chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Now a spiritual person, look here, a spiritual person is a person who has been saved. Before they were saved, they were known in chapter 2 and verse number 14 as natural, but the natural man. So a natural person has never received Jesus Christ as Savior, chapter 2, verse 14. But chapter 3, a carnal person is a saved person, but now they have lapsed into the old way of thinking, the old way of behaving, as if they had not gotten saved. So you've got, look here, you've got a natural person, never been saved. They get saved, they're spiritual. But they lapse into behaving like they did when they were lost. They're not lost, they're saved, but they're now acting like they're not saved, and they're known as carnal. Carnal. All right? So, carne, meat or flesh, right? All right? Carnal, that's what we're dealing with here. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. You, you know, if you, were, if you were right with God, if you were saved and living like you're right with God, you'd be spiritual, but unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. This is the problem. The problem with the members in the church at Corinth, over here in chapter number 6, is that they are carnal. The basis for them taking others to court, because they can, there's availability of a magistrate here, a magistrate there, and slap down their money and have a lawsuit, and whatever, and them becoming a reproach, the basis of it was their carnality. They weren't right with God. That's it. If you're looking for a way, I think Bob Jones Sr., the evangelist, used to say it this way, there is no shortcut to the will of God. Did you ever, as a kid, cut across the lot to get someplace, and maybe you weren't supposed to, but you did, and you look back, and, and maybe the owner said, what are you cutting across my lot for? And you point back and you say, see that path that's worn there? Everybody cuts across your lot. And he or she says to you, but I didn't give permission. It's not right. And I don't want you cutting across my lot. Even if everybody else tries to, I'll try to stop them too. But that doesn't make it right for you to do that. Right and wrong is not based upon what everybody's doing. Right and wrong is based upon what God says. Right is absolute. Wrong is absolute. We understand that. Now, we don't want to be, I'm not going to be nasty and have an attitude about this, but I, I believe that we have uh, entered an, an era of thinking that is known as postmodern, post-Christian. 
And the postmodern, post-Christian way of thinking is uh, right is whatever I think is right for me. And people like to give everybody their space. And they don't want this person to think that they're imposing anything on them. And so they'll back off and they'll say, sure, whatever you say. Now, we live in a pluralistic society. In the United States of America, you can think just about anything you want to think as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. And that's all right. So what I say standing over here is it's a free country. It's a pluralistic society. If you want to believe that the moon is made out of cheese and... Uh, if you want to believe that up is down and down is up and right is left and left is right and in is out and out is in, you want to believe all that, you get, go ahead and believe that. But when you stand before God, only what God says is going to count. Therefore, I'm going to stand over here and say, you have a right to believe wrong. I also have a right and a responsibility as a child of God and one who believes that right is always right and wrong is always wrong to lovingly tell you that you're wrong. How many of you that just sent a little bit of a chill through you? <laughs> but you know, we, we have the privilege of doing that without an attitude, without a spirit of haughtiness or an elitist feeling. Because before God saved us, we were wrong. And, and when we started thinking things through and doing it our own way, uh, sometimes, you know, it's like the flip of a coin. Sometimes it's heads, sometimes it's tails. But the only final arbiter and judge of all of this is the Lord himself. When we yield to God as believers and we say, Lord, I'm going to let you guide my life. I'm going to let you direct me. That's when we don't bring reproach anymore upon the cause of Jesus Christ. People will not have a great big bold something to look at and say, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong. These Christians who want me to accept Christ as Savior are wrong in this area or that area or that area. Now, please understand, we as Bible-believing, independent, fundamental Baptists don't believe in anything off the wall. For example, we're not cannibals, um, you know, we're not, uh, we're not uh, perverse. There, there's nothing about us like that. So please understand that we're Bible believers, and we go along with what the Bible teaches in its proper context. How many of you know what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15? But study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So we're to study the Word of God. And rightly dividing the Word of truth. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. And so we're able to take the Word of God and correctly apply the truth. So that, for example, we know that we're supposed to be good citizens. How many of you know that? Now, not everything the government's going to tell you all the time agrees with the Bible. When that is the case, we, we have the example in Acts chapter 5 of the apostles who said to the ruling Sanhedrin of their day, they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Here's what that means. We always obey God. And when people in, in the world want to compel us to disobey God, we just we say, we're not going to disobey God. That's it. That's it. Now do what you're going to do but we're not going to disobey God. We're not going to do those things that are unscriptural. You're not going to force us against our conscience and against the Word of God to do that. Now, we're not out here uh, protesting or, or uh, brandishing weapons and, and uh, uh, taking the law into our own hands and hurting law enforcement. So we don't do that. That's not what we do. 
We believe that right is always right, wrong is always wrong, and we will do what the Bible says. We will not be compelled to do what's against the Word of God, but we're not going to hurt anybody. That's not what we're about. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Come on, say amen. All right, good, all right. So we want to make sure that our personal problems don't find their way into the public arena so that people then use that as an excuse for rejecting our presentation of Jesus Christ as Savior. We admit that we're human and we have our personal problems, but we want them to be settled according to the Word of God. Amen. All right. Paul is not condemning courts of law because courts of law are established by those who have the rule over us. So does that make sense? Everybody understand what I'm saying? No place in the Bible is the rule of law condemned. It is only the application of the law as it impacts our testimony in our life. See what I'm saying? This is important. So it's not right for a Christian to say, well, I'm not going to have the government over me. I'm going to obey only God. So I'm going to get in my car and drive 400 miles an hour down the road. No, you're not. First of all, your car won't go 400 miles an hour. It's just a bad attitude, and you, you don't know your, your, uh, your engine capacity. But um, if you do go 400, I want to know what you're burning in that car. But... Um, but let's say you're exceeding the speed limit. You deserve to get a ticket. If the guy lets you off, that's great. But if he doesn't, you deserve it. Because the law is the law. When that, when that sign says 35 or 45 or 55 or 65 or 70 or whatever it says, you get out here and how many of you have ever driven out on the great open highways between here and California across the desert? Yes. I mean, it's just kind of like, see ya. I mean, pshh gone. But um, in civilization, there are marked speed limits, and you're expected to follow them. And if you don't, and you get caught, be prepared to pay the fine. Do like most Christians I know. Say, do Christians ever speed? Probably. Yes. Yes, they do. They put the pedal to the metal? Yes. Do they go with the flow? Yes. Let's say they're going with the flow. Everybody's doing 80 down 95. Or maybe they're doing 95 down 80. I don't know. But they're, they're doing 80 down 95. And <clears throat> you see the little bubblegum machines on top. And pulls you over. He says, you realize you were doing 82 in uh, the uh, 65 or the 70 mile an hour. All a Christian can do is tell the truth. Yes, sir, I was. Yes, sir, I'm sorry. Gives you a ticket, don't complain, because you were speeding. That's it. Now, should we speed? Not supposed to speed. That's why, the, that's why I got the signs, okay? Say, but the car will do 120. That's not even the point. If you're trying to outrun a, a hurricane or a, you know, a tornado or something, then we understand. If you're trying to get mama to the hospital to have the baby, I understand. That's okay. I'll back you up. I'll pay your fine. It's okay. But here's, here's the important thing for us to remember. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. The reason we have rules, if they're just rules, if they're proper rules, if it's order, God has allowed government to put certain rules in effect. And if they don't directly impact our faith and disagree with our faith, then you can't stand up and say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't have to obey that speeding law. Yes, you do. Yes, we do. And when we don't, we pay the fine. All right, there you go. 
I want to make sure that whatever I do is not a reproach upon the Lord Himself and the testimony. How should Christians settle personal differences? Put this down. I want you to write this down. Christians, Christians, number one, should first try to settle things between themselves. And that means they have to have a spiritual value. They have to have a spiritual basis for settling things between themselves. These things may be trivial. They may, be, they may seem huge to you. But they won't matter in heaven, will they? We get to heaven, it won't matter. So while we're here, number one, step number one is we should try to settle these things first on the basis of spiritual values. Number two, if that doesn't work, then it, as it says in Matthew chapter 18, we should settle it before the saints. Settle it before the saints. And so take it before the church if necessary. So we settle it before the saints. And, um, and number three, remember the Bible is our standard. Not uh, he said, she said, or I feel, or you feel. But the Bible is our standard. Number four, when we can't come to an agreement with other believers, both sides should be willing to say, let's agree to disagree and let's put this under the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's just put this under the blood of Jesus Christ. Just forget it. Just forget it. And then number five, just go on serving. Just go on serving. And there are some people who say, well, I'll never go back to that church again. I'll never go back to any church again. I'll never read my Bible again. I'll never trust the Lord again because so-and-so let me down. So-and-so said or did this. Unfortunately, there will always be somebody who's not right with God. Unfortunately, there will always be somebody who might rub us wrong. But we cannot allow them to determine our spirituality and our course in life. There's only one who ought to guide and direct us, and that's the Lord Himself. Let's not lose our testimony. Let's not lose our opportunity to be a witness. Uh, Paul is saying, don't you have somebody wise and mature in your congregation who can deal, who can be a neutral third party and help settle this? Isn't it possible he, he, he says, you should be able to give this to a, an, almost a, a new believer if necessary. Somebody that's very weak. And, and according to the Bible, they can settle it because they know right from wrong and wrong from right. Uh, you should be able to do that. That's what Paul is saying. Instead of going before a secular judge and just keeping his business going. We know nowadays, usually it's, uh, what is it? 25 percent, 33 and a third percent for an attorney. By the time you get done paying all the fees and going through all the expenses and all that, there's nothing left. A very litigious society. I'm glad I know some Christian attorneys. Uh, attorney David Gibbs, Jr. of CLA, Christian Law Association. Originally out of Cleveland, Ohio, then down to Florida, back up in the Cincinnati area now. I'm, I'm pleased to say that Dr. Gibbs is my dear friend, a great man of God, great preacher of the gospel. He was the man who was in private practice, and one day, one day an Amish fella came to him by the name of Yoder 
The state of Ohio was suing Yoder because Yoder was homeschooling or Christian schooling his kids. And the state of Ohio said, no, the kids belong to the state. And Yoder said, no, the kids belong to God and to me. David Gibbs prayed long and hard, took that case. At each level, the local, state, regional, Supreme Court. David Gibbs won the case before the Supreme Court of the United States. He did a wonderful service for Christian schools and homeschoolers everywhere. Praise God for David Gibbs. Still serving the Lord. He's approaching 80 years of age now. His pastoral counsel is our Timothy. Praise God. Pastor Dr. Steve Kluth now. Dr. Steve Kluth came up through our youth ministry in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And he is now the pastoral counsel. And so it makes me feel very old. But uh, makes me feel very good. That there are some godly attorneys in this world. And all the jokes that you heard about attorneys, I, I repent of them now. But uh, anyway, I want to say to you, with all the attorneys in the world, it doesn't change what's right, what's wrong. You may have to have an attorney. Get a good one. Get a Christian. Get somebody who knows the law if you've got to go to law. But don't go to law over trivial matters with other believers when it can be settled in the local church according to what's right and what's wrong. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I hope that this was practical. How many of you would say, Preacher, what you said tonight from the Word of God was true and practical and helpful to me? Put your hand up high. It was helpful and true. Praise the Lord. That's good. Hands raised all over. That's good. And now with our head bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you this question. Do you know for sure if you died right now that you go to heaven? The Bible teaches us this. Number one, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means I'm a sinner. Every person who has ever lived, with the exception of Jesus Christ, is a sinner by nature and a sinner by practice. That's, that means we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. The Bible says the wages or the payment for our sin, the price of our sin is death. That's separation. Separation, death of course, separation from the body, separation from, from heaven and from everything righteous and good. Separation in a place of punishment prepared for the devil and his angels. We don't want to go there. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God offers us a free gift. If you'll just take it as your free gift, you can have eternal life, but it's through Jesus Christ. Now, how do you get that? Not by joining the church, not by some, some act of, of sacrificial uh, generosity, not by benevolence, not by keeping the Ten Commandments, because nobody can keep all the law. Here's what it is. Just simply receive the free gift. The Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to do this. Just breathe the prayer silently from your heart to God. And here's what you pray. Dear God, just pray, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. As my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. 
Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And take me to heaven when I die. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Nobody's looking. If you just prayed that prayer silently from your heart to God and you meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can see it right now? I prayed that prayer and I meant it. God bless you. That's good. Thank you.